So, as you heard, Jeremy Riddle's coming on the 5th of July. If you would like to buy a ticket, it's 175 Rand. Um, we are going to be selling at the host table. Uh, we can accept cash and card. So, if you're interested, please come and see us afterwards. Other than that, next week is going to be our last connect for the term. Uh, we will be starting up again on the 21st of July. Yeah, so it's a little break. Um, other than that, I want to ask just another thing. Next week is Father's Day. And um, part of the main, main service in the morning, we are going to be handing out gifts to the fathers. Just a small uh, gift of appreciation for just, you know, all, everything that they do. So we want to ask if it's possible. I know it's Father's Day and a lot of people, maybe with their fathers, some not. But if you, if you can... Would you maybe sign up just to help us next week, just to hand out um, the gifts to the, to the fathers? Um, it will happen just in between the musical worship and then going over to the sermon. So if you're interested in helping us out next week, there will also be a sheet that you can sign up next week uh, at the host table for next week. And then lastly, we have partnered with Reverb. If any of you don't know what Reverb is, it is a youth ministry in, in the minor auditorium, the same venue every Sunday morning. And we will be starting an initiative. Basically, we're starting a YouTube channel. It's called um, B3E Squared. Uh, yeah, I think I said that right. <laughs> Name sometimes gets me. Uh, but other than that, we will be starting this Q&A initiative where we are going to ask you if you can send in some questions that you have. Because sometimes in the service... Listen, sorry if my, my voice is a little bit croaky. I think you guys can pray for me. I think I'm coming down with a bit of a sickness here. Um, but other than that, we basically, if you can send us some questions, because we don't always get to answering some questions that we always sometimes have. And we don't always get to it in life groups or in like the men's events or women's events or in the services. So basically, for example, if you are questioning why evil exists in this world, what we would do we have a research team consisting of people who have walked the Christian walk. One of them is Natasha Kotza. You can one out. <laughs> but really, um, so, so it's a little bit apologetic based, but at the same time, it also carries a bit of a pastoral heart. So the idea is it's not really always going to you know, solve the, the questions that you have or it's, you're not always going to find the answers. But what it will do is it will provide a framework for you to start thinking a little bit deeper into some questions that we just have hanging over our head. Um, I think it should, if you do have the slide there, um, but basically you can just send me an email on uh, S. Vandenberg. Vandenberg, sorry, I'm English, half Afrikaans. Sometimes I get lost in it. <laughs> but um, yeah, you can just send an um, e email to me and then we're still busy in the process of just uh, getting our email just finalized and that will attach to the actual channel. But you can just send me questions in the week and then what we do is we just hand it over to the research team. The research team will then go and actually research some uh, questions that you've asked and they'll find some answers for you. Um, and then what we'll do is we'd record. We're recording on the 23rd of June. Malak, is that right? Yes, that's right. And then we would upload it probably on the 6th or 7th of July. So you've got a lot of time to uh, send in questions. This is going to be an ongoing thing. So whenever you have questions, please send it to us. And then we will try to answer, answer it and also help you in that process. 
Other than that, that's enough of announcements. I would like to introduce Pastor Natasha Kotzer. She's got a fire message that she's going to deliver to us tonight. So I'm just going to pray for her if we can just stretch out our hands. So Father, thank you for Natasha. Thank you for this life and for the word that you've deposited in her and the word that she's going to impart into our lives. So I pray, Father, that we will receive every single thing that she says, if it's coming from you, because it is. So I just bless this time in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, um, I laughed at Gerben's announcement. Um, we have an Alexa at home. You know what an Alexa is? Do you know? It's this little computer gadget. Remember, I live with five men. It's all about gadgets. So this little computer gadget that you that kind of, you just say, Alexa, and then you say, play, and then I will say, uh, Alexa, play Goodness of God by, by Bethel Music. And then Alexa would say to me, um, sorry, I can't find Goodness of God by Beethoven. Every single time. Every single time I try and tell her, play that by Bethel, she just sees that as Beethoven. So I don't know what that's all about. She only listens to the men in my house. I, d- I don't know. Alexa is not with me on that. So we'll have to have a... Uh, I'll definitely have to have a talk with her. I don't know how many of you um, uh, are good in directions. Show me your hands. Who of you are good in directions? Come, show me your hands. Well, I am terrible at directions. Um, I mean, that's an understatement. It's like the chip is never planted into my brain for her to have any form of directions. Luckily, I'm married to a wonderful guy, if you didn't know it, that Louis, um, the senior pastor of this church, <laughs> is my husband. And you don't see a lot of me because I actually run the church in the south. But um, So he is brilliant in directions. So before we had phones and we had Google Maps, he was, um, he was an, a brilliant in map drawing maps. So he would have a file and he would just draw maps and, 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 and I would just follow those files, uh, those maps on in the files. And, um, and, you know, I'm a little bit dyslexic as well. So when he says turn re- left, I would also turn right. And so it's just a big mess. Needless to say, two weeks ago, we had a, our community camp in the South Church. It was um, a past Krugersdorp. Well, I left at 12 o'clock. Um, when I got to Hartepierspoor Dam, I phoned Louis and I said, I think I'm at the wrong place. <laughs> he then proceeded to say to me, just get on the N4. And then as I got on the N4 and I was following, I just wanted to say I did have help. I did follow Google Maps. As I was um, getting, uh, getting on the N4 to try and come back and I saw the city, I just, I just couldn't believe it. I'm lost again. Then I saw a sign, Laudium, and we stay in Centurion. So I just went home. <laughs> Needless to say, as I walked into the home, into my house, um, it was a quiet atmosphere. I wasn't in a very good mood. I asked Louis very kindly, um, will he please print out a, point, a point-wise kind of map for me so that I can follow that? 
So he printed out, as kind man as he is, he printed it out. I got in my car with my two boys that became very quiet in the car, and we were driving. And as I was passing, <laughs> I realized again, somewhere on the Krugersdorp Highway, I am completely lost again. I just found him, and I said, I will get you at the McDonald's. I was supposed to be there I left at one. I supposed to get there at one o'clock. I got there at half past four. Half past four. In a camp, somebody's heart monitor is going down. I don't know if they put it there for me. That's a joke. I do have some time. If you start, if I start getting boring, then just start yawning or something. So, so I am just so bad in directions, uh, and I mean, it was, it was hysterical. You know, this is one of my boys phoning me. Can you believe it? They should know where I am. But, um, so my life is like that, you know, I'm really bad in directions. But um, tonight I have a kind of a prophetic, um, serious kind of word that I want to that I want to share with you. It feels like there is a, a prophetic voice that is starting to get louder out there. A, a prophetic voice that talks about the stewardships, stewardship of the promises of God. There's a voice out there that is starting to say there's a lostness in this world that I, that I need you to notice. There's a word out there that is saying that that lostness is not just in the, um, in the world, it's not just in the, in the unchristian world, it is in the Christian world as well. It is in churches as well. And, and it feels to me that, that we need to start seeing something. So, so I want to kind of say that there is a prophetic voice that is starting to get louder. Talking to us about the promised land and to enter into the promised land. Standing in front of the walls of Jericho saying, are you going to speak to those walls, those strongholds? And, and I love that Archie read a fantastic scripture earlier in the pre-service prayer. Just that those strongholds will start coming down because we're believing all kinds of lies in the church. It feels like there's a lostness that came into the Christian world. And I want to talk about that. Now, when we start talking promises, we, start, we, we talk covenant language. And I want to take us a little bit on a journey because uh, a few weeks ago, I was speaking at a ladies' conference um, and, uh, uh, and I was talking about the fiery furnace of Daniel and his friends, and then this one lady, a young girl sitting next to my goddaughter, she said, what? Is that story, is that in the Bible? And I thought, okay, when you, when you talk to people, don't just assume that they actually read their Bibles. So I want to take you a little bit on a journey, <laughs> if you would allow me. If you know about everything, uh, excuse me, but I just kind of want to put you into the big picture of covenant. So the first covenant, so, okay, let's start at Genesis. <laughs> and in Genesis, where, where humanity fell and sin came into this world. 
and it, and it was chaotic in this world. And we all know about Noah and the ark and, um, and God just destroying the whole world. I want to say it wasn't just because of sexual immorality. It was because of social injustice. God has an issue with social injustice, and we'll get there a little bit later. But um, the first covenant was made. God said, I will never destroy this world again. And that's why you see a rainbow. Rainbow doesn't belong to other groups in this world. It belongs to God. He created the rainbow. Isn't it fantastic? I love it. That was the first covenant. And then, of course, in, uh, further on in Genesis, we read about um, God choosing a nation, a people, a man, Abram. And then he made the second covenant with Abram. Now, this was the covenant. It's, it's fantastic. I love this. I will be your God. You will be my people. And I will be with you. So God made that covenant with Abram. And then Abram had a son, Isaac. Isaac had a son, Jacob. Jacob had a son, his last son, Joseph. And by, by Joseph, by the time of Joseph, there was a lot of Israelites. They were a huge nation already. There was a drought where they were staying and they all came to Joseph because as you know, hopefully you know, is that Joseph was uh, taken into captivity um, and then ended up in the courts of Pharaoh and he became just a, a very important prince of Egypt. And as he was there and a drought came into the world, uh, um, he's, he, he reconciled with his family and the Israelites came and stayed in Egypt. When Joseph died, um, what happened was the king that took over was uh, insecure because this, this big nation was rising up and he decided to enslave the Israelites. And that's where the cry started, come and started coming, where God uh, started hearing the cry of the Israelites for, sorry, for deliverance. And in that deliverance, uh, he, he raised up Moses, and Moses came. He, he, he was the instrument for deliverance of the, Israelite, of the Israelites. And as they moved out, and that's the book of Exodus, as they moved out of slavery, uh, uh, and a year later, they stood in front of uh, the promised land for the first time. <coughs> Don't you want to just give me some water? <coughs> I had too much to sing and scream in worship. <laughs> so as that happened, God made a new covenant with his people. We call that the Mosaic Covenant. And the Mosaic Covenant again, I will be your God. You will be my people and I will dwell with you. And that's when a tabernacle was um, a mobile kind of tabernacle was made and God was, was wherever the Israelites went, they, they were part of God was with them all the time. 
But they were standing in front of the promised land. Um, and then obviously that's when the 12 spies was. They, they went into the promised land. They came back with a, with a very difficult report. They were scared. They said, these guys are giants. They are going to kill us. And they, they, they spread a rumor um, under the big nation, and, um, and then they started a revolt later on against Moses, and the Israelites were scared, and they did not enter into the promised land. Guess what happened next? The desert for 40 years. They went into the desert for 40 years. They went into the desert for 40 years, and you'll read all about that in the book of Numbers, um, and and when 40 years was finished and the whole generation died out with Moses, um, Joshua was standing in front of the promised land. And Joshua was one of the two, uh, of the 12 spies, was two of them, was only the two of them that gave a good report was Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua standing in front of the promised land and thinking of the giants that is there and hearing those word from God, words from God that says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And he said, Joshua, every place in which you put your foot, I will give to you because it is the land that was promised already for Abram. So as the Israelites went through, I just want to kind of leave that story for you right there. As they conquered the promised land and they, they were part of the promised land, um, remember their covenant that they made with God. I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell with you. What started to happen, and we read about it in all of the prophetic books, um, most of them speaks about the nation that did not obey the covenant. So they, uh, the prophets would proclaim, if you read Isaiah, they would proclaim, if you do not follow the covenant, judgment will come. And, um, but then a rescue would come, a hope would come. And that's the message that the prophets would proclaim. And basically, there was these three indictments that the prophets had against the, against the Israelites because obviously they did not keep the covenant. And it was these three things that they did not keep. The first one is idolatry. They were guilty of idolatry. They went into the promised land and they started mixing their worship to Yahweh with other religions and with other gods. And they started becoming a syncretistic kind of religion, mixing everything. And this was not for God. Remember his words, I will be your God, you will be my people. Um, this was not a traffic violation for him. <coughs> this was as good as idolatry. This idolatry was as good as adultery for him. They were leaving their God for other gods. And the prophets constantly spoke against that. 
One of them even had to marry a prostitute. And, and you see that the cry of the hurt that came because you see a covenant is not just a good business contract. It is about a relationship between two parties. A relationship between God and humanity and that nation of, of Israel. It was, it was for the benefit of both parties. But also a covenant, it's important to understand that a covenant was to, for a specific purpose. There was a purpose for a covenant. Advancing something. And for God, it was advancing the kingdom of God. So the prophets would speak against this idolatry that the Israelites constantly um, uh, were busy with. So that's the one thing. The second thing that the prophets um, uh, uh, preached against or prophesied against was social injustice. It's interesting. God had a huge issue with, not, with, with the Israelites not looking after the poor. Not looking after the marginalized. Not looking after widows or orphans or foreigners. He had a huge issue with that. And, he, and they constantly prophesied against that. If you read the prophetic books, you'll see that all the time there. But it comes from covenant language because we have a covenant it's interesting for me that the first two in Deuteronomy 6 verse 5, you'll, you'll see the first time where God started saying, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And then later Jesus would speak about it in Matthew 10, uh, Mark, Luke, he would start speaking about love the Lord your God. It's covenant language. I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will be with you. The third thing, and this is what I want to spend time on, that the prophets prophesied against was um, religious ritualism. They prophesied against this. If you have that idolatry, they would say, in your hearts, and you have a social, in, you practice social injustice, then what are you doing? There's, there's places where they are fasting as a nation and, and, and the prophets would speak against that. So why are you doing these things? It's an abomination to me. Because you are not loving God and you're not loving your neighbor. But there is something more to this. Now, I want to get there a little bit today. Remember, God chose a nation to be an example to the rest of the nations. He wanted to show to the rest of the nations, this is who Jehovah is. He is a loving God. He is good. He has justice. He is a just God. And he's holy. 
He wanted, he chose a nation to, to work in, to be like a mirror to the world of who God is. Because his, pro, his, his plan was always salvation for everybody. It's always his, his plan. And, and let me tell you, interestingly, that when it was prophesied that Jesus would come, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Today we still live in that, that covenant, he will be our God. We will be his people and Jesus living inside of us is Emmanuel. The spirit of God living inside of us. It's covenant language. We cannot talk about the promises of God if we do not talk about covenant. And the importance of that. But if I take that last point, religious ritualism, I wonder what Christianity is in this world today and what Christianity is in your life and in church universally. I don't just want to make this personally. I'm talking prophetically about church. With that foundation of where covenant comes from and promises of God comes from. I want you now to start thinking, what is Christianity? What is it? Is it, a, is it a structure that I live my life by? Is it a philosophy I live my life by? Is it an ideology I believe? Why I say that is because, interestingly enough, I mean, if you, um, I listened to a debate on, uh, by Christopher Hitchens and, and John Lennox, and it was interesting, Christopher Hitchens talks about a, a, a novel that I've read as well, um, about a guy that, um, it was discovered uh, in this book, it was a novel, um, talking about a discovery that was made, an archaeological discovery that was made, which is not a, the truth, but it was in a, in a novel, that um, they found the body of Jesus. He never rose from the dead. And in this book, um, uh, they, 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 cre they, they explain the chaos that came into the world. Because all of a sudden, um, people started to think that Christianity is a hoax or God does not exist. This was in this novel. And Christopher Hitchens, he, he stood up and he says, you know, people believe that if we prove that there isn't a God, that there will be chaos in this world. And then he, he stood up and he, says, uh, he said, I, I don't believe there will be chaos in this world says we will still have morality. I wonder what Christianity really is. What is, what, what is that? Is it that frame? Is it the skeleton that is in us that we build our belief system around? That we live our, our lives around? And yes, I would say it definitely is. It's interesting, Nietzsche was the first one to say when he proclaimed that God is dead, he's an atheist, he grew up as a, as a, as a Lutheran, but he became an atheist. He was, he was saying God is dead, but he was almost saying it prophetically. 
because he was talking about society taking God, taking God out of society that the frame of Western society will crumble because Western society was built around Christianity. And if we, pro- and if, if we declare that God is dead, and, and, and uh, Christianity is removed from society, society will go into one of two directions. It will either go into nihilism or it will go into totalitarianism. We've seen that in the Second World War. Or complete hopelessness. It is the truth that Christianity is a frame that we build life around, but is it all that it is? See, I've got something more than just an ideology. Even if there's a a big movement that starts and says that there isn't a God, I want to say to you, they will never be able to convince me. Because you know why? Because I have testimony. I have testimony in my life. Isn't it incredible that revelations say they will overcome them by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony? You have testimony in your life. Christianity is not just an ideology. It is not just a philosophy. It is a testimony of a living God living inside of me, changing my life daily, providing for me daily. I have so much miracles in my life, in in, in where I come from and how I've trusted the Lord and how He's come through for me that nobody would ever be able to convince me. There isn't a God. See, I have something more. Christianity is not just the frame in Western society. See, because there's this weird kind of movement starting that is very dangerous. Talking talks about the importance of the divine in your life. It's very much in academic circles. The importance, the debate is between is there a divine or is there not a divine? And that divine could be any form of religion. Because it, it is said that, for instance, um, in a Harvard study that came out that 80, 98% of people, a doctor was speaking and he was saying um, 98% percent 98% of people um, in, 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 that has terminal illnesses hold on to a divine in their lives because it gives hope to them. 98% of people, he was a doctor working in palliative care, hold on to a divine and yes, of course, I would hold on to a divine any time. I would hold on to Jesus Christ in my life with, with any kind of diagnosis. But is it all that it is? Is Christianity only a comfort? Is it only supposed to be something that soothes me? You see, because if you believe that, then we are doing Religious ritualism. There's something more. It cannot just be that. (coughs) Christianity cannot be a hiding place. It cannot be a therapy. 
cannot be that. You see, ritualism gives us a sense of godliness without the challenge. And if the prophetic word is, if the voice out there is we're standing in front of Jericho's walls and we need to move into the promised land, then ritualism is not going to help you because let me tell you, there's battles to be fought. Am I right? There's battles to be fought. Ritualism puts God in his place. He does not interfere too much with my life. It becomes a coat that I put around me that keeps me warm. Protects me against coldness. Protects me against the coldness of this world. Makes me feel warm, but our hearts is still cold. And what does God say? You can be hot or cold. But do not be lukewarm. And you know, the other day I was... I was throwing this little tantrum in my house. It was actually a spectacular tantrum. <laughs> you know, I was, I was, I was, I was, uh, you know, I was completely driven by fear at that moment because I was moaning with my boys. I was saying to them, I don't see you read your Bibles. So you're at university, you're at school. How are you going to navigate your life, how, your way through life? How are you going to navigate yourself if you, do not, if you do not read your Bibles, you know? So one of them said, not everybody is as radical as you, mom. And I said, yes! You need to become radical. Oh, man. I let them have it. I had to phone Louis to come and make peace. I said, Louis, I completely messed up. I told them everything I said. I said to them, I'm not reading their Bibles. I did everything that you should not say to your children, especially if they're in church so much as my boys are. Good things came from that. Really good things came from that. But what was, I was projecting my fear or my, my thinking that I'm, that I'm, you know, I'm, forever thinking um, and I was projecting that on them and saying you know I, I do not see young people read the Bible anymore actually I, I do not see people read the Bible anymore how are they going to navigate themselves through life because I cannot imagine see I was radical and I've always been radical and I've, I, got, I got saved completely radical there is no door open for anything else there is no hope Anywhere else for me. It is only Jesus. There is nothing else. If I am in need, if, if I need God's provision, there is no other door open. It is only Jesus. There is no, no other answer to the problems of this world. There is only Jesus. That is why testimonies is for me the, the, the strongest weapon I have. Louis made a statement earlier this year that so many people treat promises um, as statements of personal blessing. 
rather than statements of godly purpose. Remember covenant. We are in covenant with God for a purpose. That purpose is to advance the kingdom of God, to take the promised land. We are not in a relationship with God just to soothe myself, make me feel better, because the world is getting more chaotic. I, I, I have that frame that strengthens me because it, it, it makes me think that I'm holding on to some form of a morality. That's not what Christianity is all about. I look at the life of Paul. And I love Paul. It's just, it's just he, he must have been just such a weird guy. He must have been. I mean, if you read up, he must have been weird and looking weird. And, and I mean, he must have looked terrible because he was always persecuted. And, you know, and he couldn't speak well. And he, he must have been such a character, but so bold. So bold. But what made the difference for Paul? Because Paul grew up in Tarsus. That's where the university, philosophical, the, the philosophical thought of the day came from Tarsus. He was well educated, a Pharisee above Pharisees, he says. He understood the Old Testament. Nobody could teach him. He, his teacher was one of the best. Gamaliel was the, one of the best teachers out there. He knew Christian. He knew the stories of the Old Testament. He knew the 40 years in the des desert. He knew about the promised land. But what made the difference in Paul's life? Acts 9. What made Paul in Acts 17, stand in front, stand up at Mars Hill and proclaim the gospel in front of, I mean, that's, that's psycho. When we, when we listen to it, me and one of, my, one of my boys were listening to the Bible because, you know, I just realized I'm a missionary in my own house. So I just make every moment I have, I, I will drive you somewhere. That's what I say. I will drive you somewhere. And when I drive, I make a playlist, come to the altar, all of those things. And I, 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 I read, the, we listen to the Audible Bible, you know, they got to get it in somewhere. So anyway, we, we, me and one of my boys, we were listening to Acts and we got to Acts 17 and I, was, I stopped the car. I stopped, it was almost late for school. I said, do you understand the story? Let me, let me explain it to you. Let me explain to you where Paul was. There was all these philosophers around him. Man, he stood up fearlessly, the only one, proclaiming Jesus Christ. I said, do you, do you, let's listen to it again. You know? You see, we read the Bible as if it's, as if it's a distant from us. But the Bible talks about a covenant. I will be your God. You will be my people and I will dwell in you. That's why Jesus died on the cross for us. See, what made the difference in Paul's life was Acts 9. He had an encounter with Jesus. Today is Pentecost Sunday. What made the difference in the disciples' lives? What made the difference to that 120 people sitting 
in the upper room. What made the difference for them? Christianity wasn't just after that encounter with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit of the living God. Christianity after that, they ran down. They preached to 5,000 people got saved that we know about. It was chaos in a nation. In a, it was chaos. What made the difference? See, Christianity wasn't an ideology. It wasn't just a philosophy. It wasn't something that soothed them because persecution was coming. Couldn't be that. It wasn't something that just made them feel good. It was an encounter with the living God that changed their lives. So if God is saying to us, you are standing in front of the walls of Jericho. If God is saying to us, I want you to move into the promised land. And what is that? Today was the comrades. What's that one guy that was running in the Zulu clothes? Can't remember what his name was. But um, he was attacked. He, he's, he's actually a brilliant runner. He was attacked in his, in his practice uh, while he was practicing for the comrades. Um, he was attacked one morning and he was left for dead for three hours. You know, he testifies of running the comrades and he says, my God saved me and I forgave them. I want to say to those people, don't you think that he's taking the promised land? Every place in which you put your foot, I will give to you. Don't you think that is moving in the promises of God? See, it's not for one day. It's for right now. Your testimony is taking new ground. Your encounter that you have with Jesus on a daily basis in your difficult work situation, wherever you go, that takes ground. That is promised land. Because remember, the purpose is to advance the kingdom of God. So if you came tonight for a feel-good sermon, <laughs> I want to tell you, I'm never the person to listen to. So as the worship guys comes up, I want to say, we are in a covenant relationship. A covenant relationship is about relationship with God. It is there for a purpose. It is to advance the kingdom of God. And every place in which you put your foot, God will give to you. And do not be afraid because I will be with you. I will never leave you, Joshua. I will never forsake you doesn't matter how big those giants in the promised land is. doesn't matter. But the only thing that will make a difference in this world is an encounter with Jesus Christ. So I wonder if you want to close your eyes. 
I asked the worship team just to just to sing and let us lead us into a song of worship. I don't know what your environment is like. I don't know what Christianity is like for you. I don't know how difficult it could be. But God is busy with testimony in you. He is a God that gives everything. I will be your God. But he wants everything from you. You will be my people. But he will enable you. I will dwell within you. So as we just sing this last song, just put your heart before God. Hold up to God that where you want to see, where you need to enter into the promised land. Hold it before Him and say, Lord, make me single-minded, radically believing that you, Lord, can make a difference through me in this place. Doesn't matter how big this giant is, Lord. Come, let's prepare our hearts right now. Doesn't matter how big those giants is. Come, Holy Spirit. There's a prophetic voice out there that's getting louder. It's a voice about the stewardship of the promises of God. And it's getting louder. There's a cry out there that's saying, The world, my church is lost. It's about entertainment. It's about entertaining people. The church is confused and becoming rituals, religious ritualism. But God is looking for an authentic heart after Him. Just come, Holy Spirit. Let's just sing this one song and then we'll end in prayer.